Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University and welcome to class. Hey everyone, this is Sean. Today's interview was another solo one for me. Garrett unfortunately was not able to make it this time, but uh, I really wanted to get this guest in and you know not not try to reschedule with him. Ryan Strasnitsky is survivor of the Humboldt bus crash that happened in 2018. And as of three, four days ago, he just stood up for the first time assisted on his own. And that's just such an incredible story of overcoming adversity and really embodies everything that this podcast aims to be about. He was told he would never walk again, uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And here we are three days later, or three years later, and he's proving people wrong and putting in the work. And he was just a really awesome guest to have on. He is very wise for a young age, obviously been through a lot. And moving around at such a young age for hockey forces you to mature. And then going through this accident and still looking forward, he said four months after being paralyzed, he was on the ice again. And he's now pursuing sled hockey. And his goal is to play for Team Canada in the Olympics. And that's just the kind of person he is. He he sets his goals high and he wants to put in the work to, you know, make those dreams a reality. So it was a real treat getting to speak with Ryan today. And some of my favorite takeaways were failure is psychological. That's something that he said a couple of times. And he looks for his next outlet to take advantage of opportunities rather than you know, sitting in what may be perceived as a failure. And I really like that. That's a theme that we've now hit two podcasts in a row. Uh, with our last guest, we talked about how you have to perceive failure in a different, in a different light. Uh, you know, failure is not the end of the road. Failure should be sort of exciting because you learn from it. And now you can either adjust what you were doing to be better at it next time or find that next opportunity, that next path. But at the end of the day, all failure is, is it just means you're closer to where you're supposed to be and what you're actually going to be, you know, very successful at. So I like that he brought that up. And he also talked about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's just that, that mindset of pushing himself, you know, I, I have no idea how to put into words what it's like to try and walk again after being paralyzed but that's a fight that he's going through every single day. And we talk about, you know, how he went across the world to go through a procedure to stimulate his spine, to hopefully, you know, help with that function down the road and how he's putting in, you know, four hours a day uh, doing that rehab and, you know, all that work is paying off. Um, so really excited for him. And, you know, I, I told him at the end of the interview, like, I, I believe in you hundred percent, man. I know that, you can prove everyone wrong, prove the science wrong, prove the doctors wrong. You can overcome this, walk again. And his mindset is just truly inspiring and something that he hopes to pass along. Uh, he's now doing a lot of public speaking and trying to share his story and his journey with you know, anyone that can be better from hearing it. And it, it doesn't have to be his fight. I think that's the message that we've wanted to get along this whole time is that these stories of overcoming adversity, you know, just because they're wrapped around sports and you don't play sports or just because, you know, 
he's trying to walk again after being paralyzed and you might be doing something, you know, as simple as trying to get promoted within your job, even though they're completely different things on the spectrum, they are similar in the way that you mentally have to attack them and mentally have to not let yourself get down just because it's a slow process or just because you have a couple bad days. It's, it's the struggle that makes you great. And, you know, life is short, but you know, at times it can seem like a marathon rather than a sprint. So never get down on yourself and whatever you are trying to get through right now, just know that you can get through it and you need to use those support outlets of your close friends. Uh, you know, we have great resources. Uh, Ryan mentioned his social media, you know, he's posting things about his battle on there and, you know, that can be really inspiring to someone like me. I hope that it can be inspiring to people like you as well. But that's enough of me rambling. Uh, let's kick it on over to Ryan Strasnitsky. Hey, everyone. We want to let you in on a tremendous opportunity. Garrett and I have recently become sales reps for Verbero, an unrivaled hockey equipment and workout apparel company. Verbero utilizes a direct-to-consumer approach that removes the middleman and drives prices lower than any other leading brand in the industry without sacrificing quality. Just one example is the gloves, which are already being worn in the NHL. Verbero's fully customized gloves with team names, team logos, player names, and numbers are only $90 a pair before the discount for using our codes. A rival competitor CCM base pair without customization is about $200 online. With over 25 former NHL players and over 20 of the top women's players within Verbero's powerful rep force, it's the only brand that is ran by people who understand the game better than anybody else. You can get an additional 5% off your entire order by using code GILES, that's all caps, G-I-L-E-S, in the checkout under discounts. Thinking about upgrading jerseys for your team? Verbero has amazing customization and can get you looking better than every other team in the league. To save even more on bulk orders, team orders, or even set up a team store, contact me on social media or my email, seangiles at outlook.com. That's S-E-A-N-G-I-L-E-S at outlook.com. Previously on Adversity University, we spoke to Tyler Smith, a survival of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. On April 6, 2018, the Humboldt Broncos Junior A team was on their way to a playoff game in Saskatchewan, Canada. On their trip, their bus was struck by a semi-truck in a collision that took the lives of 16 people and injured another 13. The accident left today's guest paralyzed from the waist down with a T2 spinal cord injury. He's from Airdrie, Alberta, Canada, and is now doing public speaking and marketing and also aspiring to play for the Canadian Olympic sledge hockey team. Thank you for joining the podcast, Ryan Strasnitsky. Thanks for having me. I think the number one thing the world's been fighting through this last year is obviously this, you know, coronavirus and the global pandemic and the lockdowns that have resulted. Things seem to be wrapping up in certain places, but I know Canada is not really one of them. How has the lockdown affected your mental health? Yeah, so from the start, I mean, coming from a high athletic uh, background, you're always busy, you're training, you're always out doing things, you're, you know, trying to find ice. And as soon as that got shut down, it's like, I had no outlets to kind of, you know, be active and start doing things. And that took a toll both physically and mentally, um, you know, not being able to see your friends and, and family and having to be sort of trapped in close quarters is, is you know, is, it's it's tough. And I mean, you, you kind of get down on yourself. You're like, well, what's the point of doing this? And you, you 
you think, okay, this is never going to end. What's the point? Kind of let's just watch Netflix all day. So uh, I did that for a couple months and that obviously wasn't good. And my attitude kind of changed and wasn't just, I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. So, you know, I decided to take a change and, you know, start seeing, seeking help and, and talking to a therapist and doing things for myself to sort of make myself happy. And that was uh, included in starting to read, starting to write, starting to listen to podcasts to kind of help myself mentally so that I can be stronger coming out of this rather than, you know, weaker. Um, so it definitely played a part in a, in a negative way, but I had to find a way around that. Yeah. You mentioned those outlets and they're so important because, uh, you know, they basically took away what we love to do. You talked about getting ice time and going to see friends and you found those new outlets like reading and writing. You also mentioned that you play guitar. Uh, is that something that kind of helped you, you know, pass time, work on improving yourself, even though you weren't allowed to do it, you know, out on the rink? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's during the hockey season when I'm working, I, I never really had a chance to play guitars. So, you know, I sort of took this opportunity while I was trapped inside to, to pick up something new and get good at something because, you know, sitting around again, playing video games and watching Netflix all day isn't going to do anyone any good. And so I, I decided to pick up the guitar and uh, try to get good at that. So it's, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. And it's a good way to keep your mind busy. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like growing up in Airdrie, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta? And uh, how did you fall in love with hockey? Uh, growing up in Airdrie, uh, I moved here when I was 12 from Calgary. And the uh, the transfer was tough. I mean, I, I didn't know anyone going to a new school, trying out for a new hockey team where everyone knows everyone and, and trying to crack a spot on that, that top roster that year. So um, it, it was tough. But I mean, I, I ended up making the top team and making new friends. So uh, the adjustment was was difficult, but I, I managed to to get through and, and I started playing PBAA here in Airdrie, uh, kind of moving my way up the ranks. Um, you know, after that, I played, you know, Bantam tier one, which uh, for me wasn't wasn't where I wanted to be. It was lower level, but I mean, I still had fun, made great connections. But, uh, you know, I decided to start training that summer, uh, kind of worked, worked as hard as I could and ended up making Bantam AAA the, the year after. So making that jump was difficult, but I'm glad I, I put in the effort to, to kind of build up those habits for, okay, this is what I need to do to make the top uh, team next year. So continued working. And then the year after played minor midget AAA, which is a 15 year old league uh, out in Cochrane, Alberta um, called the AC Avalanche from there. Here's where the, the story kind of gets rocky again. So I, I tried out in Strathmore for the midget AAA team the year after when I was, um, you know, 16 and, you know, I trained hard. I thought I was in a good position to make the roster. And unfortunately, I got cut pretty early on because of my age. And, uh, you know, that kind of took a toll on me. Again, I was super frustrated and kind of got down on myself thinking, you know, I, I'm not as good of a hockey player as I thought I was. I put in all this work almost for nothing. And luckily enough, my buddy got a release to go play down in Lethbridge. So I figured, OK, I'm going to do the same thing. So I called the president of the league. He, um, he mentions that Leduc is looking for a defenseman. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take the opportunity. I want to make something out of this hockey career and get something out of it. So um, sure enough, the next day I went up to Leduc for, for a tryout, one day tryout. And, you know, I remember that being the hardest practice of my life, the hardest, you know, I've ever worked. I was, you know, super gassed after, after a two hour bag skate, basically. And afterwards I'm like, all right, get to go home, tired, good to go coach comes in. All right, we got dry land. I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. So after a two hour bag skate, we're getting ran around the rink for, I don't know, 20 laps, push-ups, sit-ups, all, all that stuff. So it's the most gassed I've ever been. 
I remember working hard and, you know, going, going to school the next day sore. I got a call from the coach saying, all right, pack your bags. You're moving up to Leduc. So then here comes another transfer where I'm moving up to Leduc as a 16 year old to play, you know, pretty high level hockey for, for, you know, minor league. And, uh, you know, that transfer again, I go to a new school. I start billeting at a teammate that I barely know I met for a day. Um, so that transfer was tough. And again, uh, it was just a huge adjustment period that helped me mature and grow as a person. Um, so then following that season, I got affiliated with uh, the Grand Prairie Storm of the Junior A-League uh, here in Alberta, played a couple games with them and then um, went to trials the next year. And unfortunately, I didn't, didn't make it there. So uh, White Court came calling and I went there uh, my 17-year-old year to, to try out and ended up, you know, trying or getting affiliated. Uh, moving forward, I, I decided to go back to Midget AAA and, and kind of finish what I started. Um, you know, I, I know it's a long story, but um, eventually we had, we had a good season. We weren't the best team in the league, but uh, we worked hard as a team and, and we kind of gelled near the end of the season. We uh, ended up playing the, the original team that cut me the year before in Strathmore. And we ended up beating them in the finals to go to Telus Cup uh, for nationals. So uh, it was a pretty humbling experience. Yeah, you know, uh, kind of the same coach that cut me too. So it was kind of that feel-good moment. And, uh, you know, I was just excited to go to nationals. Uh, from there, I, uh, I ended up playing in white court for a couple games. And then, sure enough, got traded to Humboldt. And, uh, you know, the rest rates itself. So uh, pretty fortunate enough to, to have the experience to play junior A and play in Humboldt. So um yeah that's that's basically my hockey story growing up yeah I think my big takeaway from that is uh you know the lessons that you learned from hockey that weren't about the game uh, I think you know you started off saying how you worked so hard that summer didn't make the team and you were thinking you know oh is this all for nothing and then an opportunity comes and you see that it's not the end and you know by the end of it you were getting cut and then just immediately looking for another place right so I think your resiliency like was really built up in those years and, you know, the mental toughness. And it, it's really cool to see that, you know, you started taking your failures as a springboard to another opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for any kid that gets cut, cause it happens all the time. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. And, you know, all the kids that put in work, I mean, it, it's tough to say, but I think, you know, you shouldn't look at it as a failure. It's almost failure is almost psychological. You know, you, um, I think you can always take away something good from any situation. Um, that's, you know, going into the resilience aspect of things. And for me, no matter what sort of adversity that I faced, I always look for the next outlet, the, the light at the end of the tunnel for, you know, the next best thing. I always took advantage of the opportunities that sort of presented themselves and made sure that I worked hard for it. And, you know, by no means have I ever been, you know, an all-star player, but I just remember putting in the work day in and day out, trying to be a good teammate, trying to, you know, help the team win rather than focus on myself. And I think, you know, for, for someone who didn't get a lot of interest growing up because, you know, you're not one of the top players and, you know, you're not sure where you're going to end up. I just remember putting in the work, being a good teammate and getting interest from NCAA schools, which is an absolute first for me. And I think just uh, having that opportunity present presenting itself, I kind of look back on the moments where, you know, I was getting up at 5 a.m. to work out. I remember, you know, doing things for the team, um, you know, all the lessons I learned growing up, even outside the rink, I uh, learned to mature uh, at a young age and learning to kind of do things for myself and, and prioritize and, and schedule everything. I think I look back on all those hard times and I, I kind of thank myself for it. So 
um, yeah, going into the resiliency aspect, you can always look for the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, moving away from home is definitely something that forces you to mature earlier. Uh, your first time moving was at 15, correct? Uh, 16. 16, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a really young age to have to figure a lot of things out on your own. And obviously, you know, the parents are only a phone call away, but it's really different when you're not coming home to their house anymore and you know, <laughs> you're staying with the host family. And it's something that I also really appreciated having to go play junior hockey before going to college. I think a lot of kids go to college and it's their first time away from home. So they have a lot of lessons to learn that aren't even around school. And that's a reason that, you know, they may not do as well. So I actually yeah. enjoyed going in a bit older, having a bit more of that maturity and experience. Absolutely. So getting into the crash, um, Tyler told us that it was days for him before he remembers waking up. Uh, what was the moment that you realized you had been in a bus crash and how serious it was? I mean, unfortunately, like I, I remember the initial collision, I kind of like blacked out then and I ended up waking up with my back against the semi truck. And obviously when everything's going on, you can't really wrap your head around it. But I just remember no idea how I was sitting up, but I just remember looking at the actual accident and seeing everything. And it was just kind of a, a moment I look back on like, why can't like, why wasn't I unconscious? Right. And I don't know how much longer I woke up after the collision, but I just remember what I saw and um, you know, the aid of, of uh, pedestrian coming by and, and she was helping out until the ambulance arrived. And I just remember every emotion, every kind of thing I felt. And initially when I woke up, right, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, I got to get up. First thing is just get up and, and assess the situation. So I try, you know, moving forward or try standing and I'm like, okay, I, I'm stuck under something. I'm not moving at all. And I look down and there's, there's nothing on my legs and I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is weird. And then that's when the adrenaline starts to pick up. That's when your mind starts racing. And you know, I, I had no idea what to do. Couldn't move, couldn't really speak because, you know, I unfortunately had broken ribs on both sides and a punctured lung. So couldn't, uh, couldn't really speak. And, you know, I tried yelling, just like yelling a name for the first person I saw. And um, unfortunately, you know, that didn't help. I couldn't move, couldn't speak. So I was just kind of sitting there, mind racing. You don't know what's going on. And uh, eventually the ambulance did arrive. And uh, I still remember being in the ambulance with, with the teammate, Braden Cameron. And, um, you know, he just like kind of said, you know, it's going to be okay, man. And, um, from there, I just, um, remember, remembered waking up in the, in the Tisdale or Nipawin hospital. Wow. It's hard to imagine a moment like that. And obviously how terrifying it must've been. And maybe the hardest thing we face in life is losing loved ones. How have you mourned your brothers from that team? And what advice can you give to someone who has lost a loved one? I mean, I just try and work hard every day. I try and be there for my teammates who also went, experienced it, went through it, um, just making sure that they're okay and trying to keep in touch and just, you know, obviously I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I want to use that as, you know, sort of motivation and I want to be mindful of it, right? I want to remember, you know, what happened, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and you know, a part of what I'm doing is because of them. I want to honor them in the way, in the best way that I can. And that's just working hard every day. Uh, sharing my message, making an impact on the world because, you know, as soon as the accident happened, the world reached out and they were nothing but supportive and I want to give back to them. So it, that's sort of my way of doing with it. I know I can't speak for anyone else, but um, I know they they definitely work hard and, and they're mindful of it too. Cause you know, at the end of the day, life's short um, and, and some of the connections you have, it just, um, 
you know, they'll never go away. So I think if for anyone who has lost a loved one, it's important to be mindful of it, you know, use that as motivation if, if you choose to do so, but, um, you know, just, just do what you gotta do. Right. I mean, work hard, uh, share their message as best you can, but it's important not to dwell on it and let it overtake you, but it's important to be mindful of it and, and sort of use that. Absolutely. And you mentioned sharing that message and I know you're doing some public speaking now. Uh, what type of public speaking is it? Is it motivational or what, what are you, what's your goal of that? My goal is just to sort of make an impact on the world. And like in that sense, I mean, yeah, if you can take some sort of motivation or inspiration from my story and sort of the lessons I've learned and, and uh, apply that to your life in, in one way or another. And I know I'm a young kid, but I feel like I've gone through a lot even before the accident. So I have some knowledge to kind of share and, um, my story is still going and, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes. If I continue to put in the work and surround myself with good people and, and work on both physical and mental health, uh, my story is still being written, but every lesson I learn, all the, all the knowledge that I'm going to gain, I just want to give back to the community because again, I, I'm not going to be here forever and hockey's not going to be played forever. So um, if I can, you know, sort of pass down my message from one generation to the next, I think that's important and uh, can definitely, you know, help someone out in, in, in the end. Absolutely. I love that. And mentioning your story, uh, once you, you know, were told you were paralyzed, I'm sure there were doctors say you wouldn't walk again. Um, you underwent an epidural stimulation as a spinal cord injury treatment. What was this procedure and how did that impact you? Yeah. Like you mentioned, the, the first meeting I had with the doctor at the Calgary Foothills hospital was the first word she said is, okay, so you're never going to walk again. So here's what's next. And you know, coming out of surgery and stuff, you kind of like take it back by that. So, uh, you know, initially I was sh shocked and kind of sad, but I mean, I, I talked to my dad and he's like, Hey, don't, don't listen to them. They, they tell people that all the time. I mean, they, they're not really allowed to tell you, okay, you're going to walk again. So, um, kind of took it from a viewpoint of where they're coming from, but also I'm like, you know, kind of F you, you know, I'm going to kind of show you. And yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the surgery came out in Thailand for an epidural stimulation, which it, it, to break it down into shorter terms is this sort of electrode that goes on your T10 vertebrae, which is pretty down low. It has 16 electrodes and is attached to a battery pack that either your left or your right side. Um, so being 16 electrodes, there's like 32 million different combinations and electrical currents that can be used to move certain muscles and motions. So there's tons of hours of work put into mapping is what they call it. And from there, they find what best, you know, work for me works better for you, uh, core control or, or walking or certain kicking motions. And, you know, it was tons of work. It was about four hours of mapping a day and about an hour of physio every day for six days a week. And then I got Sundays off, but wow. I was there for about five, six weeks working on mapping, working on assisted walking. I have um, a lot of videos on my social media about the Thailand experience and it was, it was life-changing. I remember coming out of this four hour surgery the next day and kind of laying in bed, the doctors and the, the mapping people came in and said, all right, you ready to see this? So I said, sure. And uh, sure enough, he turns on the stimulation device and my knee kicks up, almost hits me in the head. <laughs> it was the, it was the craziest thing, but I remember my dad took a video of that and it just, it blew up all over the world and question after question of, can I get this for my daughter? Can I get this for myself? Like, this is my experience. And just, it was, it was sort of overwhelming to start, 
But then I realized, okay, you know what, this is my opportunity to help people out and let them know that, you know, this is their light at the end of the tunnel if they need it. So I think at the end of the day, um, taking that social media platform, all the videos, all the experiences that I have and sharing it with the world and them coming to me for help and advice, I think is, you know, a step in the right direction. Yeah, that's incredible. Even being a mentor to, you know, that new, I don't know if niche is the right word, but that, that new group of people who are fighting through the same battle as you. And that makes me remember, uh, do you know Jack Jablonski? Heard the name. Yeah, he was another hockey player who, uh, you know, was paralyzed in a game. And I've seen a lot of things on his social media about, you know, he was told he would never walk. And now he's doing the same fight, everything he can to, you know, do the assisted walking. And um, I was going to ask if if he was a little bit of inspiration for you, but it sounds like you you don't know that story. I think it was a it was a little it was a long time ago, I think. OK, maybe. 20 yeah, years. there's been there's been lots of stories and and, and people who have you know, done the assisted walking or I just think it's absolutely awesome. I mean, we're all in the situation together. Everyone has their different story, but everyone has the same end goal. And if you can help others around you to kind of look for that scapegoat, I mean, absolutely. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah. And then, um, fortunate enough to talk to you literally days after you stood up assisted for the first time in over three years. Can you talk about how that moment felt and, you know, all the hard work you put in leading up to it? Yeah, it took, it took a lot to get there. I mean, normally I'd have, you know, two to three people helping me with the hips and, and with the legs. But um, I remember each physio session, it's like, okay, what else can I do to kind of better myself and push myself outside that comfort zone? And that particular day, I, I told the trainer, I'm like, you know what, I want to try standing on my own with minimal assistance. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So he brought the walker. And sure enough, I was like, okay, so I did the countdown. And then stood up and I was like holy like this is this is awesome I've never done this before so it was very emotional uh tasking I think not just physically but you know trying to program um your mind to kind of okay this is what we got to do trying to get the legs going again and it, it took a lot out of me but I know I'm happy I did it I, I did it and uh you know ultimately it, it leads to to further challenges for myself which I love doing so uh, I was definitely emotional and you know, I'm proud of where I am, but I'm not satisfied. So I got to keep moving forward. Yeah. That's the perfect mindset. And are you doing small goal setting? Obviously, you know, the goal is to be able to walk again, but being able to stand up assisted and then stand up unassisted, reaching those goals along the way, I think can help you so much mentally to seeing you are making progress and seeing you are getting there. Uh, what kind of goal setting have you been doing on this ride? Um, there's been tons. I mean, both phys, uh, for physio and hockey, uh, it, it's, it's not huge goals each practice. Like, it's not like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, the hardest shot in the world, the next practice, right? Like something extreme like that. It's, it's something small, right? So you can feel like you achieve something so you don't get down on yourself and it could be small, but I mean, that's the process. It's not going to be a sprint. It's a marathon. And for physio, I know it's all on how the body heals. But if you can somehow get yourself outside your comfort zone and, and push yourself to make yourself feel uncomfortable, it just gets easier and easier. You start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what I try to do, you know, as much as I can. So when I'm at physio, it's like, okay, we tried minimal assistance with standing and then it'll be next time. All right, let's try no assistance. And, and that if that fails, then it fails. But I mean, again, failure is psychological. You always learn from, from every situation. And again, with hockey too, I try, okay, 
I'm not really good at this aspect of my game. So I'm going to work on that. And that's, you know, using my left hand or turning a certain way. And it's like, okay, it's going to suck. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. That just means you got to keep going forward and try to achieve those goals. Again, like you mentioned, it helps mentally because once you do start picking it up, once you do start doing the things that make you uncomfortable, once it starts to get easy, you're like, okay, you know, you get overwhelming confidence and you just want to keep moving forward and keep pushing yourself. And it's super motivating and humbling. Yeah, you've been alluding to it for sure, but you found a way to stay involved as an athlete in the game of hockey. How did you find sledge hockey and what has that transition been like? I, I knew about sledge hockey prior to the accident a little bit. I didn't really follow it, but I, I knew they were, they were playing the States in the gold medal game in uh, 2018. So unfortunately they lost. And I asked my dad right after the accident, I was like, okay, well, how'd they do? And then he said they lost and kind of looked at them and, and thought to myself, okay, I'm going to try and make team Canada. That was, that was the first step. Like it was like, okay, what can I do next? And I've always been that way. You know, I'm in a certain situation. It's like, all right, you know, I'm going to go aim for team Canada, just something crazy. Why not? And from there, um, I had a, my coach and mentor right now, his name's Chris Cedarstrand. He's out in Okotoks. And, uh, you know, he reached out right away to my mom. I, I moved to transfer to Calgary from Saskatchewan and he, he came to visit right away. And he's like, whenever you want, we'll, uh, we'll get you in a sled. We'll get you started. And sure enough, four months after, you know, the initial accident, I was back on the ice. He, he took me out uh, in Okotoks and there again, another video on my social media of me going out for the first time. And I, I loved it. I mean, any, any sort of hockey player that smells the rink gets on the ice right away. It's like time doesn't exist. You're just out there having fun and, and working hard. So that's exactly the emotions I felt. And, um, you, you know, moving forward, it was like, okay, what's next, right? Got to get a sled, got to get my gear back. Got to, you know, start training. That's incredible. And you're so right. Uh, Obviously, we've had a lot of hockey people on this podcast. That's who we are. And everyone says the same thing. You know, a sheet of ice is where everything else just goes away. You know, nothing else matters when you're out there. And it's funny because it is so much fun, but you're right. Like, it's so much hard work. And I think it's almost getting addicted to that hard work. Like, I don't want to get off. I want to get 1% better at my stick handling. I want to get 1% better at my shooting. Like, you get addicted to that drive to bettering yourself. Yeah. And as soon as you see the Zamboni start to come on the ice, you're like, oh, fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you set that goal, the ultimate goal of making the Olympics. How do you get recruited to make that team? Uh, is there a national team that plays together on non-Olympic years or what's that process like? So the process works. You can kind of get started in the, in the community. Um, so Calgary has a, you know, kind of a rec league to kind of get started, but um, you know, I was training so hard and, and coming from this athletic uh, background, you're like, you're super competitive and I'm, I'm not bashing the, the Calgary association by any, any means, but you know, I was just over competitive. And I think in that rec league, I just like, it wouldn't be fit for me. So I kept training and then uh, about a year and a half in, I, I made our provincial team and that's the next step. So you make your provincial team, you kind of do camps each, um, each month, either up North or in the South. Um, May, you start to play nationals against the other provinces. So um, there's about six or seven games a year. And then from there, you can get recruited to try out for the men's national team or the development team. Um, so that's where I am right now uh, at the provincial stage. And I'm continuing to train and, and want to play in nationals next year to kind of get recruited to try out at least, right? So uh, kind of get my foot in the door that way. And um, the next step would be to try and crack the roster. Yeah, absolutely. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck with that. 
have you are you still a defenseman i know you're a d-man on humboldt <laughs> yeah yeah still a defenseman so try and transfer over some of the some of the things i did but you know hopefully the the hands get a little better but yeah we're working towards it it's gotta be tough to have a have an active stick out there i know <laughs> the big play is is an active stick and you know getting physical is there is there some contact out there oh yeah like guys go flying i mean there's double amps at play and they're pretty light they're very shifty but if you if you hit them right they'll go flying into the boards and i mean we got we got spikes at the end of our sticks so battling in the corner sometimes guys will get cut and it's, it's a very violent sport so you know i'm excited but i'm still it's still a huge learning curve i mean being a defenseman you can't skate backwards in sledge so you got to learn to skate forwards the entire time, do long turns, pick up speed. It's it's a huge adjustment, but again, I'm learning. Really? That's really interesting. Do you know why you're not allowed to skate backwards? Well, it's just like the way your sled's positioned like, and your picks are always moving forward. So you can't like push backwards because the balance would be super hard. So you always got to keep turning and kind of angling, angling drills. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. It's, well, it's weird. Yeah, I bet it's, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously the same game, but you know, once you get to those high levels, it's all about those little details and those details are definitely, definitely way different, but it does seem very exciting. And, you know, we hope to see you out there for team Canada very yeah. soon. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, incredible to hear about your journey. You're so inspiring to so many people. Um, you know, I, I believe in you a hundred percent that, you're going to be walking again. And, you know, I hope you believe in that goal too. And you know, that there's so many people supporting you along this journey. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and letting me kind of share my message. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of adversity university. You can follow more news about Aversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is Aversity underscore University. Our Twitter handle is Aversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Aversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.